Welcome to Ask Alice, a podcast that explores the issues and challenges teenagers face on a daily basis. Hosted by Alice Chernock, a licensed professional counselor in Birmingham, Alabama. Ask Alice is part of the Rooted family of podcasts, which also includes the Rooted Conference podcast, the Rooted Parent podcast, the Rooted Youth Ministry podcast, and Thanos to Theos. Rooted is a ministry that is focused on advancing grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated youth ministry. To learn more, visit rootedministry.com. Here's your host, Alice Chernock. Good morning, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Alice. Y'all, I am so happy to be with you today because I get to introduce you to my very good friend and somebody who I I consider sort of a little sister to me. Her name is Christy Harmon, and I am so happy that I finally convinced Christy to come over to the Counseling Center where I work in Birmingham. And she and I actually share an office now, which is wonderful, except that means that we never see each other. (laughs) Christy, (laughs) thank you so much for joining me today. So fun to be here. I'm just excited to see your face and be with you for an hour. So, Same here. Well, Christy, Christy, you have so much experience, especially in the adoption world. Um, I know and I know that you'll get into this in a little bit, but part of your own story is with adoption. But you have also worked with an adoption agency for years and years before going into private practice. And so I feel like you are just a wealth of information on the topic for today, which is attachment and attachment disorders. So can we just dive right in and tell me tell me everything you know? Like, I want you to seriously brain dump on me and just tell me all the things, okay? So what exactly is, and let me tell you that you know so much more about this. You know, I have worked with adopted kids before, but I feel like that's such a special niche um, that I'm really happy to to get your expertise on this. So can we just kind of start like what what exactly is attachment disorder? How do you describe that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, like you said, my background is primarily my experience is that I was adopted as an infant. And so that, of course, sparked my own curiosity in what uh, attachment looks like, what healthy attachment looks like, all of that. But then I worked for eight years, like you said, in an adoption agency doing foster care, international adoption, and then most of my time was spent in domestic adoption, working with young mothers trying to figure out if they wanted to place their children for adoption. Um, and what does that attachment process look like? I worked a lot with adoptive families there. But then also for young moms who were didn't have a lot of support, decided to parent, what does that attachment journey look like? So attachment is my thing. I just it totally is. And I think it. it's funny that like when I talk about you being an expert in this, you are just beyond the expert in this, both <laughs> personally and professionally. And it's been really cool. Like I said, I consider you as a little sister to me because I feel like I've seen you. I've I, I you and I were friends even when you were starting graduate school, you know? And so I've, I've had the, the pleasure of getting to walk with you throughout your grad school experience and then through through different roles that you've played at the adoption agencies and now here at, at our counseling center. So 
I really value your input. I think that you're, you're just such a rock star. So help us understand what, what are we talking about when it comes to attachment? Yes. yes. So we'll start with what a healthy attachment looks like. You think that's kind of foundational in that God created our brains to connect with other people. Um, but primarily the first attachment figure that we have is, is typically our mom and our mom and our dad. It's dad's in the picture too. And so you know, we are born looking for somebody who is looking for us. And that mm. is even when we don't have those explicit memories, those kind of come when we're three, four, five, but those implicit memories of the, answering the question, am I worthy of love? Am I worthy of um, somebody taking care of me? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the first question that every child and every really infant is asking. And then the second question is, are others capable of giving mm. me that love? So am I worthy of love? And are others capable of giving it? And so the way that that looks in a healthy attachment is simply that a baby cries, a newborn baby cries, and mom responds. And in an ideal situation, she's going to respond with warmth, with her voice being soft and calm and soothing. And then Mm -hmm. she's going to figure out, what does that little baby need? She's going to rock them and comfort them and feed them and put a warm blanket around them and give them a warm bath and all the things that we know that these little babies need. And one thing that I just want to say to parents as they're kind of panicking, especially if you are a new mom right now, (laughs) I just want to say you're not going to do this perfectly. So this is not asking a mom to be a perfect parent and always know what a child needs. But it's that they're predictably showing up. And so, mm. uh, her, oh my gosh, her, can I just stop and say that again? Yes, yes. That was such a beautiful line, predictably showing up. How mm. powerful is that? Because I mean, girl, you're so right. And, and I think that that in itself is what points us back to Christ, mm-hmm. that we can't do this on our own, that we, we truly need a savior who can do this for us. But by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, we can predictably show up. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, predictably showing up, I think a lot of times we think about, okay, how am I going to pay for diapers? How am I going to feed this child? Am I going to nurse? Am I going to, but what we kind of overlook and what I even overlooked when I was um, pregnant with my first child was thinking about how I'm going to emotionally be present for mm-hmm. my child and my children long-term. And so, you know, Karen Purvis says that the biggest predictor of a child's outcome is how emotionally present their caregivers are from a young age. Wow. And so I think that's so powerful and such an indicator of what a healthy attachment looks like. Yeah. It's not just providing for basic physical needs, but it's providing emotionally for a child. And well, and yeah, I think too, of, you know, how, um, we refer back to the, the psychologist, Eric Erickson quite a bit, you know? And so I think that this to me is really where that comes in. So Erickson came up with the, the stages of social development throughout our lifespan. And that very first like infant stage, like from newborn, very first one was, trust versus mistrust. Mm, All right. And so that is just that foundational piece that every, every baby, every infant has to have. And the, the, the notion with Erickson is that you progress through these different stages and they build on each other. 
And so if we don't have that foundational trust versus mistrust, we're going to spend the rest of our lives feeding off of that and coming back to that need that wasn't ever filled, Mm, you know? And so I think that that's, it sounds like that's a lot of what you're saying too, in that foundational moment of how we as parents can, can convey to our kids that need that you can trust me, you know, I'm going to show up, predictably show up. Yes. Is the world a safe place for me? Is the world going to, you know, can I trust that um, even when things don't feel safe, that I have a secure base to come home to in my parents and my caregivers. Um, So again, that's this, that is kind of ideal. That's what God created us for. And I just think in the, in the garden of Eden, that is what was happening, right? That Mm. God provided for all of Adam and Eve's needs. And then, you know, they, they had a connected relationship with each other. I mean, there's nothing more intimate than being created out of someone, which is what happened with Eve. And that's what happens in the, the, when a baby is born, they're literally being born inside of their mother's womb. So again, this attachment is foundational to who God created us to be. And it's so, so, so beautiful when it happens. Mm-hmm. Well, but Holly, we live in a broken world and yeah, <laughs> so this absolutely. doesn't always happen perfectly. I totally um, and- agree. Well, so can you go into that a little bit? Tell us about how does how does attachment impact a child's brain? Because I, I yeah. mean, you know me, like I, I totally am like brain savvy these days, you know? Um, <laughs> and so I would love for you to speak to that though, because I know that the brain is very, very impacted by either attachment, healthy attachment or unhealthy attachment. Yeah, absolutely. And so when things happen well, the brain is going to be able to develop and thrive. And because there's this notion of I can have close relationships and that gives me freedom to explore the world. And when a baby is exploring, when a toddler or an infant is exploring the world through play and, um, you know, going and running around with their, their little friends and, you know, putting things in their mouth and doing all of these things, their brain is developing and learning and growing. That's how they, that's how they develop. But yeah. when there is not that secure base of an attachment, they're unable to fully um, learn and grow in the way that they were designed to. So there's three different types of insecure attachment. So we kind okay. of talk about what secure attachment looks like, but there's yeah. three different types of insecure attachment. Okay. And okay. those are when the caregiver is not able to provide for those basic needs in several different ways. Okay. And so with a secure attachment, a child is going to know, okay, I have a high sense of my own self-esteem. I have a high sense of that other people can take care of me. So hmm. high sense of self, high sense of believing in others. Um, there's another type of attachment called an anxious style of attachment. Okay. Okay. So what's happening there is caregiver is not showing up consistently. Sometimes caregivers showing up in a great way. They're warm. They're engaged. They're providing for the child's needs. And then other times they're just not able to, for whatever reason. And as adults, we know that probably they have other things going on. They have other stressors. We all do. But um, you know, maybe they struggle with depression. Maybe they are dealing with substance abuse. So sometimes they're not high and they're great parent and then other times they are high and that you know that is 
they're not able to show up for the child in the yeah. way they need. And hey, wait, can I ask you something, Christy? So yeah, when you say yeah. when you say anxious, are you talking about the caregiver is anxious or the child is anxious? Or both? <laughs> well, probably both, but the style <laughs> of attachment, the name anxious attachment style is what the child receives. So they okay. they have an anxious ambivalent parent attachment style with their caregiver okay I'm with you. Oh, okay yes, oh, okay yes. okay okay yes that does make sense okay good so there are three types of, of insecure attachment that a child can have okay um, and that that attachment style really sticks with them through the lifespan unless they are able to get a gain a secure attachment with a caregiver wow. does that make sense yeah and um, I think it's so interesting too I mean it really I think we're piggybacking on each other talking about how foundational this is and how it really does carry through the whole lifespan. If, if we aren't able to, to develop those secure attachments at some point, you know? Okay. So keep going. So, so there's the anxious attachment and then what are the, and that, well, that means just that the child is um, not getting their needs met consistently. So it's inconsistent emotional and physical needs. And so the child has this view of themselves that, hey, my caregiver could show up for me if I was worth it. And so, of course, that's going to impact them. So they have a very, very low sense of self. Oh, man, that's powerful. Yeah, a very, very high sense of others' ability to care for them. So these are very needy, needy, needy children because, they feel like I don't deserve love, but I desperately want it. Yeah. Then there's this avoidance attachment style. Okay. And these are children whose caregivers or parents were completely unresponsive to, especially their emotional needs um, oh, and wow. even their physical needs too. Um, and so not abusive parents, but just kind of absent. And so yeah. these are the kids that like, you know, maybe parents get home from work and don't, really make dinner for them so we have five-year-olds that are trying to figure out what to cook for maybe their younger siblings and there's just this um low 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 sense of anybody's going to take care of me so I got to take care of myself got to do it for myself yeah Um, okay and so I uh, the way I understand this and tell me if I'm wrong but I understand Mm -hmm. attachment as the child and specifically again I'm going back to the brain but the child learns at an early early age that they have to focus not on their relationship skills, but they have to focus on their survival skills, you know? And so is that what you're describing that, you know, here's a child who's a five-year-old, even younger, even a baby who is given the notion that I am not safe enough to develop a Mm -hmm. relationship here. I've got to focus on how am I going to get fed? Who's going to take care of me? What am I going to do? And that in itself has such an impact on, on the brain and the development. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Because our brains thrive within the safety of relationships. So when they're not safe to be able to have those relationships, man, things take really fast. So yes, exactly what I'm saying. Okay, good. And then the third and last type of insecure attachment is that fearful disorganized, which is where the child is abuse so the caregivers are moving mm. towards the child in relationship but that relationship is abusive so oh, wow. um, when the when the parent is very scary or emotionally abusive physically abusive or 
just really, really neglectful, but then also has moments of anger. Um, of course, it's going to be very, very low sense of self-esteem, very, very low sense that others can care for them. And those are the children that probably you know, have the most trauma and are therefore their brains are just hyper vigilant all the time, very mm. fearful, very withdrawn, very frozen, and then these outbursts of anger and that kind of thing. So yeah, um, that, that those are the, the children, the kiddos that um, just really have a hard time. And a lot of times later on in life develop um, personality disorders and things like that. Okay. So all right. When I'm talking about, when we're talking about adoption here, typically adoption does not happen in ideal circumstances, right? Yeah. It's not sure. like, this is how it's meant to be. This is the ideal. And so kids come typically from one of those backgrounds of a okay. parent who is um, inconsistent, a parent who just kind of ignores their child or a parent who is abusive towards their child. Okay. This is such a good, helpful, just a foundational explanation of what, what we're dealing with. And now, now, so we have this picture of where this child has grown up where this child has been from day one, you know, and now let's place them into a foster home. And I I think that that's what's so hard because I know I've met with so many foster families who were under the impression that, well, they're coming now to a loving home and they're, I'm going to give them all the emotional and physical and all of the support. And yet we're seeing all kinds of symptoms and behaviors and things like that. So let, well, okay. Before we get into what do we do? I have so many questions. <laughs> I can talk to you forever. <laughs> we can spend all day doing this. We can totally spend all day. We need to spend like, we need to have like multiple series of, of podcasts on this one. Okay. As we experience the pains of a perishing, defiled, and fading world, our hope can feel distant or idle. Yet in Christ, we are born again to a hope that is both living and active. This is the message of Rooted's 2022 conference entitled, Living Hope, A Walk Through First Peter. Join us in Kansas City from October 6th through the 8th as we survey First Peter together. This is a conference for all of those who minister to teenagers, youth pastors, volunteers, and parents. Our prayer is that those who attend would have renewed eyes to see that which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us by Jesus, our living hope. Learn more and register at www.rooted-conference.com. That's rooted-conference.com. What do we do? I have so many questions. <laughs> I can talk to you forever. <laughs> we can spend all day doing this. We can totally spend all day. We need to spend like, we need to have like multiple series of, of podcasts on this one. Okay. But tell me this, how would a parent know, how would it, an adoptive parent, or I mean, because really this could happen with not adopted kids too, right? I mean, I think that we have to make that very clear, but how, what are some characteristics of a child who is struggling with attachment stuff? How will a parent know that this is what my kid's dealing with? Yeah. So according to the DSM, which is the, I'm sure you've talked with your listeners about that before, the, the diagnostic manual for how do we know if there's a disorder of any kind? 
there's kind of two different attachment disorders. So there's RAD, um, reactive attachment disorder, which people yeah. talk about a lot. Right. Um, and probably right. in ways that are not helpful or not necessarily true all the time. Huh. And then there's disinhibited social engagement disorder. Okay. And what happens is, and I've had so many families come to me and say, my child has RAD and they're, my child is explosive and just absolutely uncontrollable and they're not capable of love and I've done all the things and there's no hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the, the, the vibe that I get that RAD has gotten this um, reputation of yeah. this, this out of control child. Who yeah. There's not really a lot of hope for it. Um, right. I, I, even like to the extent of sociopathy, you know, like a yeah. like really, okay. My kid, has reactive attachment disorder and now they're going to be a sociopath, you know? And so it's really following this, like, whoa, we got to slow down a little bit. A little bit. Yes. Um, What is so, so hard about adoption is that oftentimes we just don't know our child's history, whether that they're coming to us from foster care or um, from maybe overseas or coming to us internationally we just don't know the full history. Even if we get an extensive history, we don't necessarily know the full truth. And so yeah. what I've seen a lot and what the DSM says that RAD is, is that it's a child who rarely or minimally turns to an attachment figure for comfort, support, protection, or nurture. And they also don't respond to that comfort naturally when distressed. What it does not say is that they're not capable of it. Oh, that's the distinguishing factor there. Okay. Yeah. And so a lot of parents think, well, my child's not capable of love. My child's not capable of, you know, attachment. And that's just not true. Mm. Um, Yes, a rad rad diagnosis may happen when child's not responsive emotionally to other people or limited positive affect or there's, you know, irritability, sadness, like unpredictable behavior, all of those things. But the foundation of RAD is that they just haven't ever had the opportunity to have a bond with an attachment figure. Wow. And so, you know, RAD is very rare. It's only about 10% of like trauma cases. So, population, but like 10% of children who come from hard places have RAD. So, it's really rare. Wow. I did not know that happens. Um, But the, the, here for rad and this is not going to be comforting if you are have a child in your home that is really really struggling this is not comforting but there is a lot of hope in that a <laughs> rad diagnosis the the cure is to develop a healthy attachment put a child with rad in a home where they can attach and bond and where they're safe to be able to to develop that it might take a long 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 time for that to happen but that's the answer and if they seem like they're not responding positively after several years of you, you know, being emotionally present and doing all the attachment things, what that says to me is that there's more going on. Hmm. So maybe there's fetal alcohol syndrome, maybe there's developmental delays that are present. Oh. There's um, you know, maybe it's not just that there's an attachment disorder, but there's other things going on for that child that general parenting is just not gonna help if you you know, have some neurological or delays or whatever. Like, yeah, right. There's damage there. So um, that's rad. Rad is really actually pretty easy to help a child grow and develop. Wow, I did not (laughs) Um, know that. This is so interesting to me. Okay. 
And let me, can I backtrack a little bit? Yes. So I heard, yes. I'm thinking as far as like symptoms that we're looking for, like I heard you say, um, not really responding to care. Um, did you say destructive? Like sometimes sort of destructive, like lashing out or am I, am I, pre- am I just pulling up all, all of my own preconceived uh, <laughs> notions yeah. of this? Like mean, what are you, what are symptoms that we're looking for? So when I say the biggest things are just not an inability to attach and be comforted. Okay. So they're not reaching out for that attachment and they're not easily comforted. So, and okay. then there's, there's this, this level of sadness or fearfulness or irritability that's coming with a caregiver present during non-threatening times. So you may have an incredible foster mom who's so nurturing, so warm, so loving, and she's, she's able to provide that and they respond, they just don't respond to it. Wow. Or it doesn't okay. help comfort them when they're sad. So a lot of the things that you just said, it, it, that's the representation of RAB. It's just not, yeah. that's not what the DSM says. And that's not this is so what we're really good. This um, is so good. Okay. And so the DSM-4 was actually a little bit of a different diagnosis. It was a little bit more severe. And then just more research was done. And they realized that a lot of times that's actually due to fetal alcohol syndrome or due to other neurological disorders or things like that, that were comorbid with with uh, attachment disorder because again attachment disorder is all about the attachment with the caregiver yeah. um and so some an example uh, it would be like let's say that a mom a sweet mom adopted mom who loves this child dearly um sees that the child is cold and so the child's shivering and so she puts a blanket around her child mm-hmm. and a child immediately like pushes off the blanket and how looks at the mom you know in oh an angry wow way. okay so okay. they're not able to receive that need they have that need they are cold there's no denying that but they don't feel safe in receiving that care okay I'm with you this is so helpful okay that's a great analogy okay so does that mean that you know the like kind of the the things that I was when when I was in grad school and I'm you know learning all of these things which was a long time ago not gonna lie but that was all it was all like the you know, a kid who's stealing or, or lying or just very low, like impulse control or like no remorse. Those kind of things are the characteristics that I was taught go along with attachment disorder. So what you're saying is that basically the new research from where we are today has changed that. And it's actually not, not quite accurate. Well, and I think those behaviors can absolutely come with those things that, you know, if a child does not have a secure attachment, they're going to get their needs met in another way. So they're going to act out or act in. So yes, like screaming, biting, hitting, lying, manipulation, this can all be parts of attachment disorders or, or, you know, that's a part of their coping skills to survive or like acting in, like withdrawing and running away or hiding or becoming unresponsive. And so of course, like, yes, parents are going to see those things for sure. Um, it's just that, you know, for a rad diagnosis, it's not that those are specific things that we're necessarily looking for. So it um, sounds like those are not the roots. Those are just, right. those are sort of the branches, the but symptoms. they're not the roots. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. All right. The root um, is the attachment piece and the way it manifests can be in all these other different avenues. 
Yeah. And it can oh, okay. in so many different ways. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, absolutely that those things can all be present as outcomes of it, but it can also be that a child is just kind of unresponsive, kind of like yeah. no asset, kind yeah. of like just, just a, a parent offers them food and they don't even respond. So it's just it's wow. so many different ways, but it's not necessarily just an uncontrollable child that won't. I'm behave, with you. If that makes okay. sense. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, again, I mean, it goes back to, it's not so much about the behavior. It's about the relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the summation. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, I want to, I want to be, I want to keep going because I have yes. so many more questions to ask you. So you mentioned the other, the other not rad. Yes. What is the other mm-hmm. attachment disorder? There's this, there's disinhibited social engagement disorder, which okay. is honestly, it's, it seems like a better diagnosis, but for me, you know, as a therapist, it's a harder one because what happens with these little children who do not get their needs met, they don't have an attachment figure that's consistent. So maybe they, you know, are bounced around from house to house or they're in an institution where there's a lot of different caregivers. And so they treat unfamiliar adults the exact same way they treat familiar adults. They're overly verbally and emotionally and physically oh. familiar with literally okay. anyone. So this is a little girl that will come up to somebody at the grocery store and say, I love you and give you a hug. And you're like, I never met this child before. Okay. All right. Okay. And so there's just no selective attachment um, because they haven't had those emotional needs met. They're looking to it for, for anyone. And the reason why I say that's almost harder to treat than RAD is because with RAD, you know when you're making progress because that mm. child like makes some eye contact at you or peeks out from behind oh, the blanket or okay. maybe one day asks for something that they need and those are huge wins for children with reactive attachment disorder but for disinhibited social engagement disorder there aren't those selective attachments and so it's really hard to know when it's authentic emotion in a child oh wow. just a learned behavior of you seem nice. I'm going to see if maybe you'll show me some love. And again, they're going to lie. They're going to say that they, it's going to be a lot of the same behaviors in some ways, but they're just charming, sweet little kids. Yeah. Charming. That's something that I I see that a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those are, those are kind of the two different major like attachment disorders that, that I've seen. Okay. So let's progress then to what do we do? (laughs) So let's say we have a parent who's listening to this podcast and they're like, oh my word, I see these things in my child. I know that, you know, I have the history there, whatever that may be. What is your, what's your advice to parents in, in helping this? Yeah, I think it's twofold. The, the biggest thing is that secure attachment can be learned. Um, Mm. Our brains are, there's neuroplasticity. The brain Yay, just changes. You said it. it. You're yeah. a girl. Yes. <laughs> neuroplasticity. That's what I preach. Yes. The brain can change. Neuroplasticity is synonymous with hope, right? Especially yes. for those of us Isn't who- it? I mean, I totally see that like total tangent, but like that is exactly how it is with ADHD or depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. The brain is neuroplastic. The Lord created us so phenomenally that yes, there is sin, but there's grace. And I think that those two are so coupled together that he is, he's making all things new. And this is part of that, but 
Mm, I love it. Yes. Soapbox. All right, keep going. Yeah. I want to go back to you. <laughs> I love it. But, that's, but that is so true. And so having a secure attachment can be learned. And the biggest piece of encouragement I would offer to parents is that everybody has an attachment style. Mm-hmm. And so as a parent who's bringing a child into their home, it's coming from a hard place. You might have some of these really scary hard behaviors and they might be biting they might be kicking or screaming or running away or you know you might have to lock them in the room at night I mean these are hard hard heavy things yeah and yet a secure attachment can be formed we know this because God created us to be able to 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 bond with a child but we need to learn our own stuff first because if we're going to be (laughs) consistent if we're going to be gentle and show up and be emotionally present for a child that is not emotionally present back um, we need to kind of have our own stuff under control and know what our triggers are Mm. and what's going to be make it hard for us to to meet the needs of our child and that really goes for any parent whether you have yeah I totally agree I mean how many times have we felt rejected by our Mm -hmm. own kids you know I mean the times that we whether they're biological or adopted or whatever I mean I just think that that's so true for all parents that you know we can give and give and give and then when we get the the hand in our face it's just rejection like it it just hurts so badly and so I think you're so right that's such a great way to put it to know our own triggers Mm -hmm. and know what's going to set us off you know and tap into our stuff yeah so let's just say I have a three-year-old, as I do, and let's just say that there was a moment in Target maybe two days ago, hypothetically <laughs> speaking. Hypothetically, where, I can hear where this is going. Where she loses her precious mind in the toy aisle of Target because we're picking out a toy for a friend, but she wants one, right? And right. she's screaming, she's mad, she's crying. What I found in myself, Allie, in that moment was that I was really embarrassed because I yeah. felt like her poor behavior reflected on me as a parent. Yes. And that kind of goes back to some of my attachment stuff and the things that I've had to work through in my own story of that negative emotions weren't allowed in my house growing up. And wow. I had amazing, incredible, incredible parents, but that just wasn't something that they were raised with. And so yeah. tantrums weren't allowed. And that was a sign of disobedience. And And so I had to kind of in that moment, take a breath and think about where my heart was, where my mind was, so that then I could be attuned with what my child was experiencing in that moment. And it is hard, but doing that, that work, you know, even a person, even a really, really good parent, is not going to be perfect all the time, even if they have worked through their own stuff. And so that's, you know, tenfold more when your child is acting out in really, really hard ways, especially if it's an older child that's um, mm-hmm. that's a little bit harder to, to control than a one-year-old or two-year-old or three-year-old. Right. Um, and so start walking through their own stuff, I think is the first tip that I would give. And then the second thing is seeing the need behind a child's behavior. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest need that a child has is to connect um, with a caregiver and oftentimes they have learned maladaptive ways to, to, to do that, to get their needs met. And they don't feel yeah. safe enough to be able to connect. But anytime a child is expressing any kind of behavior, they're actually expressing some kind of a need. Hmm. Um, and so. You know, okay, wait, wait, wait. I want, I, want to, yeah. I want to hone in on that one. All right. 
And I just want to repeat it again, because I think that that was kind of a gem right there. All right. You said every time a child is expressing a behavior, they are showing that they have a need. That's huge. That's such a big deal. Like I think about that again, like, like what you said through throughout the lifespan of a child, whether it's an infant or a teenager, whenever they're expressing a behavior, the root of that is that there's some need that's going on there. How powerful is that for us Mm -hmm. as parents to just be able to sit and rest with that? You know, it's easy to react to the behavior without, you know, really being able to go deeper and say, okay, there's a need, there's something behind that behavior. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. Something motivating it. Yeah. And then need is almost always legitimate, even if the behavior is unacceptable. Yeah. And so being able to really see the child in those moments of behaviors, a lot of times it's just a cry for help saying, I've never learned how to express my needs verbally. And so I need your help translating for me, mom. Mm-hmm. I, need my, I need your help. Just, I need you to see me, dad. And um, again, that can be very, very difficult, but one of the biggest needs for children who come from hard places is the need for control. And mm-hmm. we know, you know, as believers, I can kind of rub us the wrong way in a way. I can be like, well, we're not in control. God's in control. And, but the reality is we all respond. When we do not have a control, we all kind of like grasp yes. for it, right? Yes, and, yes, yes. And so it's not that God isn't in control. He is in control, but he also we also, you know, that is something that we need is to be autonomous and learn that we do have the power, you know, our words have power, our actions have power, and people are going to listen to us and follow through with us. But kids who don't, you know, are never given that opportunity to have a secure bond, to be able to explore the world and to feel safe um, away from mom and dad, they're going to try to seek other ways of controlling things and so mm-hmm. um if you can for parents that they can be give the child some level of control if they can give the child predictability I think predictability mm-hmm. is huge in just helping a child feel like their brains don't have to be hyper vigilant looking for danger yeah. because they know what's coming they know yes okay I'm gonna wake up we're gonna brush my teeth I'm gonna wash my yep. face I'm gonna have a warm breakfast I get to choose what kind of fruit I eat Yes, and that they know kind of that they're going to have some choice and autonomy, but there's also going to be predictability and boundaries there. Um, That's so good. I think about that, like even with my when when my kids were young, young, I would always just give them like their juice or give them some milk or things like that. And I have a picture of my oldest son, John, who flipped out because apparently I offered him the wrong cup. It was like mm -hmm. the wrong color cup. And I was like, what? And it was such like a, it was a comical, but oh my gosh, you're out of control. You were out of your mind because I gave you the wrong cup. But it was such a good reminder for me of, I didn't give him a choice. I didn't say, Mm. do you want the blue cup or the yellow cup? Which one do you want? And so giving children back that level of control. I love how you say that. And I think that that applies to so many different areas of life with our kids because when it comes down to it, they don't have control over very much. You know, I mean, I think the, the, the life of our kids, it's, they go to school and they're told what to do. They go to, to, you know, soccer practice and they're told how to act and, you know, what, what drills to do. They come home and they're told when to go to bed and what chores they're going to do. So kids don't have a whole lot of control. And that is a really big deal 
for any kid, but I love how you're tying that in with this attachment stuff too. I can imagine that it's even more so with that, you know? Yeah. When there's been abuse situations and so a child has not maybe wanted to say no, but they couldn't. Um, wow. And there's been an abuse of that control of an adult in a way that was not kind or loving or warm or even abusive. You know, they need even more to be empowered that, hey, I have choice. I have a voice. And so I love the example of the color cut because as adults, we're like, that doesn't make sense. This doesn't matter. <laughs> but to right. a child, in that moment, they need that empathy of, oh, my goodness. And you need, you really, really wanted that blue right. cup. Give you an orange cup. That must have been so disappointing. They also need the boundary of that yep. you know what's best. And so, man, that must be so disappointing. We're going to stick with the blue cup right now. But hey, for lunch, what colored cup do you want? And so, yes, balance of, okay, I want to absolutely, you know, give you choices and options, but I'm also the parent. And so I'm going to make the big decisions right. for us. Right. And then that way, that will also help you feel safe and secure is that there's somebody that is predictably showing up for what I need. And, but then I also have a voice. So yeah, those are, that's so so good. So what, what is the point where you would say to a parent, we need to get some professional help? You know, at what point do I start? I mean, I've given your phone number to like everybody I know, but (laughs) at what point do the parents who, need extra help, how do they know that it's time to enlist the help of a professional? Yeah. You know, I think it's, there are, it is not natural for parents to go back to the age of the child when they did not have these needs met. And that is a lot of what I do is teach parents, okay, yes, you have a precious nine-year-old child in your home, but when they were a baby, they were not getting their needs met. And so we need to kind of go back to the basics for this child to be safe, to be seen, to be soothed. And so I think it's just this relearning process and helping the the children to not just feel those things as a nine-year-old child, but to kind of receive the care that they missed out on. So Yeah, this the whole notion of reparenting. Yeah. I mean, you're literally, that's what you're doing. Wow. Yeah, and so when parents feel like, okay, either because of my own attachment history or because of my child, that we as a family just need support in learning each other. And yes, in dealing with these behaviors, but if if I as a parent am like, my kid is biting me and I cannot see them. I cannot see their need behind their behavior because their behavior is just really all we're dealing with all day long. Mm-hmm. It's impacting siblings, it's impacting my mental health, it's impacting clearly their ability to function and thrive, that's when I would say, let's reach out and get help. Um, yeah. Really, I think any parent that brings a child in from hard places, I think that they need a lot of support. And maybe there's not that counseling support in your area that's specific to adoption, but getting support and respite and care of your local community, I think is just absolutely crucial. And if you can reach out for professional help, I think that's going to benefit not just the child, but your whole family in just mm-hmm. identifying um, what kind of what is happening. How are we mm-hmm. all coping in healthy ways and in unhealthy ways? And how can we um, grow together in our attachment with all of us, with biological children, with uh, children through foster care, adoption, right. and then right. even in our marriage, you know, what is this? How is yeah. it impacting that? So 
That's what I would say for that. Oh my gosh, this is so good. I mean, I really, we got through like maybe one of the questions that I wanted to ask you. (laughs) So will you please come back? Will you please, please, please let me do this again? And we didn't even talk about your story. I mean, I would just love, (laughs) Holly, there's so much more that I I would love to ask you and to go into. And you've taught me so much. I feel like a proud mama. You're part two. (laughs) Yes, this is so good. I love it. Well, oh my goodness. So thank you again for joining us today. We've got to wrap up, but I really appreciate you being here. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Al, for all that you've done for me. I really am grateful, grateful, grateful for you. I've well, taken thank- to ask Alice seriously. Hey, <laughs> I've asked you so many questions and I just feel like I just learned and gleaned from you so much. So ask Alice is, 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 a, real, is a real thing. <laughs> okay, well, it's, the feelings are mutual, Christy. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Ask Alice. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Ask Alice with Alice Chernock. If you found this podcast helpful or encouraging, we'd appreciate your help in bringing this grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated content to others who might also benefit. Help us serve others by sharing this resource on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music on this podcast. This podcast is made available to you by the Rooted Ministry for educational purposes only, not to provide specific therapeutic advice. The views expressed are the personal perspectives of the author and do not represent the views of all counselors or of the counseling profession. This podcast does not create a counselor-client relationship and should not be used as a substitute for competent therapeutic counsel from a licensed professional in your state.